0: To you all for this Monday's podcast brought to you of course by Equine Devil's Advocate. Goodness Monday already. I don't know where the weekend went, it just flew by. Today, freasy, freasy, freezy, chilly in this neck of the woods. Um, hope your weather is not too terrible. Now today we are going to explore a slightly different theme. I did, earlier on, say that we would be introducing a Q&A segment. Uh, I wasn't quite sure when or how. Well, today is the day. We've actually got lots of questions starting to stack up, and I'm sure you're all dying to hear the answers. So, very many thanks to you for sending them in. And given the time of year, it's purely a time issue on our part, it's rather easier to do them today and on Friday than a midweek special. So, we thought, yes, let's just go for it. Now, the questions are very varied, and as always with horses, questions can invoke endless discussion, as they should. But the Q&A is about being as concise as possible, So, if any of them leap out at you and you would like to discuss them further, please feel free to put them forward. You can, of course, contact us at www.equinedevilsadvocate.com. The website, we have the contact us page or there is Facebook or Podbean and, as of now, Twitter as well. YouTube is available but the upload process is an absolute pain in the proverbial, but with two T's. But feel free to use it if you wish. I have not given up on it yet, uh, nor am I likely to. At some point, it will behave properly. Now, with the questions, what I've done is sorted them into um, sort of some sort of context, really, And we are going to start with the unrelated horsey ones. So, without further ado, let's see how many answers we can get through today. The first one is, is the dog, we can sometimes hear barking, Koya from the website page? And what sort of dog is it? The answer is, yes, that is Koya. Uh, He is officer in charge of security and he is Very good at it too. Now, he is a Eurasia. I'm sure you are all saying a what? As I did before I'd ever heard of them. I'll spell it for you. It's E U R A S -S I E R. And they are, in fact, a German dog. But by all means, jump on Google and have a look. I can't tell you how adorable the puppies are. But of course, Koya is super, super, super adorable. The next one was, why can we hear sirens? <laughs> yes, they're very untimely, aren't they? We are, in fact, situated on a what we call an A road. Um, I don't know what you call that in other countries. It's a road that goes from a reasonably small town out through to all the surrounding villages. Directly opposite is a country inn and hotel and the entrance and exit to their car park, at the end of which is a crossroads to more villages. So being as the road has a blind bend and is the main thoroughfare from, oh, the hospital, the fire station, the ambulances, the police, the you name it, doctors, anybody with a siren, they have to switch them on coming off the blind bend So, hey presto, we get the brunt and the blue flashing lights. Um, It's not as often as it perhaps sounds and certainly isn't as daunting as it may sound. And actually, one of the things I really like about it is the horses get used to it very, very quickly. Another question, what breed is hot stuff and biscuit? Now, Hot Stuff is actually KWPN, Dutch, registered. His mother is KWPN, but his father was a German, an Oldenburg stallion. It's really interesting looking at the continental breeds, because a lot of it is to do with the area in which they were born. And certainly in Germany, they can be registered in different areas. So it can get quite confusing but technically he is KWPN Dutch sport horse. Biscuit on the other hand is more simple. He is an English thoroughbred father, full thoroughbred racehorse and a French full thoroughbred racehorse mother. Therefore he is a full thoroughbred English French. Now we then had um, some riding questions But they're actually about, specifically, hands. Oh yes, the hands. Always a good one to talk about. There's three of them. The first two are really quite connected. So the first one was, I struggle with hand position. Should my hands be down or held higher? Now the second one is much the same, but it says, I have always been told to keep my hands down. Now everyone is saying lift them up any tips well actually yes now the thing about being a person a human being is that we instinctively if we feel unsafe we clutch things we grab at them we hang on to them to give ourselves a sense of stability so Needless to say, when you first climb on a horse, you don't feel very secure or stable. So the natural inclination is to grab at something, usually the reins. The easiest way to teach somebody to feel more secure is to have them drop their hands down and have some contact with either... The horse's shoulders or the wither, the base of the neck, just in front of the saddle or even a strap on the saddle to give that sense of security and to stop you from veering backwards and forwards. So what then happens is that's the best place for you to have your hands initially. That does not teach you to have that good old word, independent hands because you don't feel secure unless they are touching something to be independent they have to be not touching something hence there comes a time when you find your balance and your stability and your center of gravity strength in your core that you can start to lift your hands up so that they may become independent. And I think that's where one has to decide the right point in the riding process to encourage somebody to actually start to lift them up. Um, It's always better to do it in increments rather than suddenly decide they have to go from being down and in contact to suddenly up somewhere, because that is more destabilizing and the whole process is about becoming more stabilized. The other one, the third one to that effect was I see so many different hand positions in competition riders. Why is this? Well, that's the next stage of progression because as with anything, once you've established your your confidence, so you could say that with oh any sport or or in fact, even something like driving, one tends to develop one's own style, perhaps, I would say. So in terms of competition riders, yes, they get to the point where their stability is there and their balance is there and you will see an event rider you know roll their wrist and bring the hand out wide to make a turn or a show jumper you know bring the hand back and then give it forward way over the neck so it starts to become one's own style and technique and that becomes secondary to the main aspect of connecting with your horse it becomes a sort of a substrata and so that's why there is no in that situation one correct hand position provided it's one that is effective and one of non-interference so I hope that's not too complicated to grasp but yeah just think about it it's something that we all become more familiar with ourselves and develop our own unique little technique and style I should add probably with the exception of dressage there's another one to do with hands and reins and it says any advice uh, on correct rein contact the answer is yes have a really good little technique for you that you can practice anywhere and everywhere and I say this to probably most of my clients. The first thing is, it's not about the contact with the horse's mouth or the bit. It is about the contact on the rein itself. I say to my clients, your reins are your friends. Please do hold them like they are your friends. Now, by that I mean in the palm of your hand. Finding that best and correct and even feel of the rain in your hand is a really, really good little exercise to help you do that. First things first, get yourself two mugs, good size coffee mugs with a decent handle. Fill them pretty much three quarters full of water. And before you pick them up, bend your elbows to 90 degrees keep your upper arm hanging straight down perpendicular from your shoulder but keep it slightly away from your body then get hold of your cups put your hands, all your fingers through the handle and put your thumb on top of the handle then pick them up what you'll find is If your grip is not strong enough, you will spill the water. If your grip is too strong and you're trying to strangle your cup of coffee, as it were, it won't take very long before your hands start to hurt. Your fingers will ache and you'll probably get cramp in your forearm or an ache in your wrist. That is too tight. You need to find the absolute right balance of grip. And stability of grip on the handle so that you can lift and move those cups of water without them spilling so that you can move them by swinging your shoulder forward you can swing your shoulder back keeping the cup level and your hand in the same grip and the same position you can then take your hand wide out to the left or closer across your body to the right with the same grip and the same feel without spilling the water. This is the feel that you need to apply to the rain. so that it's not that connection to the mouth but it's what transfers down the rain to the mouth. It stays consistent and even. If the horse happens to pull on the rein, it's not going to rip it through your hand or you're not going to drop it. What will happen is your hand will move forward with the horse with that same connection of feel on the rein. So, have a little think about it, get your head round it and go grab those mugs. Now, this is another riding one it says in a couple of your podcasts you have mentioned sitting light what does that mean okay that means when you get on your horse do not plonk yourself on it like you plonk yourself on the sofa after a hard day's work it means be responsible for your own weight so imagine that you're sitting in a chair and you can be slouching in that chair, all of your weight is dispersed on the chair. If somebody says to you, sit up straight, you don't take your weight off the chair, but you support yourself in your posture through your core. That is being responsible for your weight while still being on the chair. You do the same thing when you get on a horse. So you sit on it, your bottom is in contact with the saddle, but you support your own weight, stability and balance by lifting internally your own core. Now, there's a place to sit, as you would describe, normally in that posture, but you can then take that to a lighter seat, so almost as though you're... uh, Slightly hovering, if you like, on the top of the saddle, but again by engaging your core, not pushing off your stirrups. Now, the reason for doing that, it means that when you become responsible for your weight and you support yourself, the horse can work and more often than not is more willing to work underneath you it can use its back. Now, I used it in contact in context, I should say, particularly with Dennis the Menace in the hunting episode, so you might like to have another listen to that one, when he was lit up like a Christmas tree. Now, that is the point at which if you try and suppress that energy by dumping your weight down, guaranteed it will fly out of underneath you oh forwards backwards sideways or all of it if you sit light as i've just described and still you'll find that the horse will relax into movement more often than not forward and free so the rider then doesn't become constricting and actually cause an issue. So that is how one describes sitting light. It does mean you have to find your call and it does mean that you have to actually access it and it is tiring when you first do it. So if you're going to give it a go, do it for a bit, have a breather, have a break but don't plonk yourself on your horse whilst doing it. The next question following that theme was somebody asked, is sitting light the same as light seat? The answer is no, it isn't. We call light seat, as some of others of you know it, we call that standing up in our stirrups. Um, there's lots of horsey terms that get a bit muddly and a bit misconstrued and kind of confuse us for a while. Now, the benefit of standing up in your stirrups is, again, one of stability and being off the horse's back. It means that your centre of gravity is grounded through your leg, mostly, in that situation. And you can travel, usually more so with quicker movement, is where we normally use it. So, for instance, faster cantering work, uh, certainly going over a jump. Um, galloping that sort of thing um, there is no way you can sit to a gallop um, you would feel like you're being spun around in a washing machine um, and also same principle it actually allows the horse to work underneath you so you stay in balance and you are light and suspended under your own balance within that movement so, again, something to get your head around, but the two are actually very different, although they have a similar underlying theme. This is on a different topic that somebody asked, what is the best course to learn on? For me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, an artificial one, a simulator. And I'll tell you why. The thing about learning to ride a horse is that it's all about movement and the movement that comes from a four-legged, largely speaking, decent-sized animal with a mind of its own. A daunting prospect, is it not? And when you first start, you have no concept of what that movement feels like because often it will look very different to what it actually does feel like. Now, the best thing to do would be to put yourself in a situation where you had a simulator, and I don't doubt that technology is out there, to have one that that can duplicate, oh, anything from a a small teeny-weeny pony short-stepping trot to, oh, anything, anywhere you want to go. That would give you the opportunity to just feel and become accustomed to that movement without having to worry about the horse and the steering and the the where am I and did I do that bit right and it's not listening to me and it won't go or it's going too fast and all the added bits that come in. Let's face it, who in their right mind would want to be a riding school horse? It's a tall order and the ones that are very good at it very hard to find. So, I think there's a real avenue for somebody out there. Here's an idea for you. Create a similar that duplicates all the basic movements that people would need to get used to before they got on a horse. Wouldn't that be just brilliant? Another one on a similar theme. Best advice for someone who wants to learn to ride. Absolutely, it is about movement. It is about becoming accustomed to movement. So the best way that you can find to do that is the best route to be able to practice and get used to it and become familiar with it and then learn what to do when you're in it. Another very straightforward question. Can people be too big, stroke heavy for a horse? Yes. Simple. Simple. Another one, is it easier to learn to ride younger or when you're older and understand more? Younger, most definitely. I think because one's not so uh, in self-control of movement. I think when one's younger, you tend to sort of go with the flow a bit more. Um, you're certainly smaller, lighter, so there's less gravitational pull, if you like. And I think probably one is more open to the fun side and not perhaps worrying so much about what could go wrong as one does when one gets older. On a completely different note, question, should you let somebody ride your horse? Well, I say absolutely yes. There's many situations where it can be very beneficial. One being somebody could be the best person to give your horse confidence perhaps where it lacks confidence and perhaps a situation where you also lack confidence there may be another situation where perhaps you know you're at work and your the weather is terrible um and your horse can't get out very much and somebody will exercise it for you it's got to be better than it staying in all the time and if you think about it there are so many professional yards, and the horses get ridden by different people all the time. You know, new staff, up-and-coming staff, uh, not necessarily the person that competes them, and it's something that just just becomes a very natural part of that world without an issue. A situation where it wouldn't be sensible is obviously if horse and rider are not suited So by that, I would perhaps say a more novice rider with a younger, less experienced horse. Um, Or another situation would be somebody that perhaps you would be asking to school, educate your horse, but they had a very different technique and method and feel from you. Then, in that situation, you would not reap the benefit and your horse would be see- receiving a very mixed message from two different people. Too much conflict in that scenario. Now, here's another completely different one. Has Equine Doe's advocate worked with Mustangs? Well, no. Um, we don't have Mustangs in England. But I will say they do absolutely fascinate me. Yes. Somebody else asked, does equine devil's advocate have a favourite breed? And the answer is no, I don't. Um, I love looking at breed traits and understanding them. And I also then love to get to know the individuals within that breed and within those breed traits. I find the whole variety, yeah, absolutely inspiring fascinating and there's such a lot to be learned so no favorites another one completely different again does Equant devil's advocate agree with putting boots on horses uh totally but i am fussy about the type i personally cannot see the sense in not having that little bit of protection that can stop the most oh simple thing causing a big drama you know a smacked suspensory or um you know a horse that strikes into itself and gets an infected cut uh it's just like for the sake of having a boot on makes no sense to me whatsoever quick simple easy and effective another one along a similar line why do dressage people always wrap Their horse's legs in white bandages and overreach boots. Simple answer. One, for protection, much as we've just spoken about with the boots. And the second reason is that it draws the eye of the observer, be that the trainer or perhaps even a potential buyer, to the movement of the horse, to the footfalls, to the rhythm, to the steps to the to the tempo and basically it really clarifies what that horse is doing in each three pace. So it gives a really good benefit because that's an important part of a dressage horse. And here's another one it's sort of along the lines of um equine clothing. Do you agree with rugs, stroke blankets on horses? Absolutely yes. Now, especially in this country, most of our horses in the winter are clipped. So, it would make no sense for them not to be rugged. Our weather is very, very damp. Even if it's not raining, the air is damp. So, one reason it keeps them clean. And there is nothing worse than trying to scrape three inches of wet mud off a horse before you want to ride it. The other reason is that, yeah, it keeps some warm. There is nothing worse than a horse that is cold. A horse that is cold is a very unhappy horse. It does not work well. It takes a lot more time to warm up, to loosen up. If it's not rugged afterwards, it can get cold very, very quickly and the damp seeps into its coat. And then you are heading for potentially colic the other thing is because our air is so damp and because quite often it rains a lot you know a rug would save your horse if it's living out all the time from things like oh rain scald and any mud rashes on its body and also the same thing comes to you know fly protection rugs in the summer personally I cannot see the point in watching a horse run itself ragged around a field being chased by bitey flies where it comes up in rashes and painful lumps and bumps that you then want to bring it in and put your tack on no logic there for me however what I do do and I do strongly advocate for the winter rugs is to actually go one size up because when you get that layer of air between your horse And the rug, they regulate their temperature so much better. It's that layer of insulated air that does the best work. So, good quality rugs with no tight surfaces, I would say. Now, we're going to finish up with this question for today. Um, It's a question that is, I'm not sure of the context exactly in which it was sent, but I'll answer in the context in which I think it might have been sent. The question is, if you get a new horse, what is the first thing you do? It's actually a really interesting question and I like it. So I'm going to try and answer it in, yeah, in this context. So the first thing that I do personally is look at it. And by that, I mean, really look at the horse. I am looking for health indicators. I am looking at its condition. I'm looking at its muscle tone, its hooves, its the way it's been shod or whether it's unshod. I'm looking at its conformation. I'm looking at its limbs, any lumps and bumps. I'm also looking at the condition of the skin and the coat. I'm then looking at the horse's expression. I say this a lot, but I say it again. What do the eyes say? What's the face telling you? Is the horse relaxed? Is it a bit stressed? Is it a bit lit up? Is it a bit excited? Or is it just intrigued and inquisitive? The next thing I do with that is into the stable it will go, usually for a pee and a drink. I let them settle for a while, which usually usually means coffee time or cup of tea time and a chat with the owners. Then what I would do is turn the horse out with boots on. I personally very much like to see them move loose as a first thing. I like to see how they move, how they hold themselves, and how they just naturally want to express themselves and introduce themselves to horses on the other side of the fence. After that, I'll just leave them to saddle for the rest of the day. That information then usually gives me all the information that I need to start creating an individual program for that particular horse. And what I think will really work for them and where I need to go in working with them. And I usually start the following day. There are the odd occasional exceptions to that rule, but that largely is my rule of thumb. Where it would be different is if it's a young horse that's perhaps not backed and has come in for backing and breaking. Then I will give them, oh, even up to a week to settle in just to let them find their feet it gives me time to get to know their personality and allow them to get to know me they can learn such a lot by watching the other horses and what's going on around them and when they then reach that place of sort of confidence and they feel like they're part of the routine that's when I would start working with them for me It's never wasted time, anything up to a week or perhaps even a bit more. I think it's one of those things that actually can give you a really good start because you're always starting with a young horse from a place of calm, which is invaluable. I do think this question, if that is the right context in which it was meant, is a question that you can always find conflicting opinions And probably you can find justifications for all of them. So we tend to stick with what works for us and what we are comfortable with, whatever that might be. So on that note, please do let us know if you've enjoyed our Q&A session for today. Um, We will be doing another one on Friday, as I said, because there are more questions stacking up. If you'd like, to pick up more and in more depth on any one of the questions, please do feel free. As I said, www.equinedevilsadvocate.com, Facebook, Podbean, Twitter and YouTube, if you can bear it. Um, and also, um, yeah, if you want to add some more questions for follow up Friday, that, of course, is absolutely fine. Please do join us then, and until then, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, take care, and we will, of course, speak very, very soon.